This podcast contains conversations about trauma, death, and other challenging subjects, and may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. If you need resources to get help, please see the show notes. You're listening to Drawn to a Deeper Story. I'm Kath Brew from DrawnToAStory.com. I'm an artist who illustrates and educates about marginalised experiences for positive change with a particular interest in identity, belonging and expat life. This podcast is about the lives that challenge us and the difficult conversations around them. It's a place to listen openly, to absorb people's truths and to learn how to show up differently for the benefit of everyone. Now, we all know that being poor is difficult. We all understand that, and we can have an appreciation of what that might be like. But what about being wealthy? What's that like? And is it as desirable as we might think? And talking about money is still to some degree a taboo, at least in the UK. But I have seen this changing, even in the last 15 years that I've lived here. It's not such a dirty word. But there's still a sense that it's bad taste to talk about your wealth, particularly in a world with such disparity between the have-nots and the haves. But I'm not sure it's that simple. And as you all know with me, there's always unspoken layers to be explored, which help us gain a greater understanding and grow empathy. So I'll come to today's guest, Alice. Now, Alice grew up in a wealthy family. And I've invited her here today for an honest conversation about what it's like to grow up in a wealthy family and to live with wealth. How does that shape a person? Like, what impact does that have on your life? Is it as desirable as we're led to believe? And the honest truth is that I actually don't know. So I've asked Alice to talk to us today to tell you her story. Hello, Alice. And on this fine sunny morning, welcome to Drawn to a Deeper Story. Hello. I, I feel the need to mention the sun as this Australian is grasping with the ends of summer. <laughs> it is October. It's well and truly autumn, but I live in hope. I don't know if you've got sun where you are. <laughs> yes, it's actually beautiful. Sat here in the sunshine, so I can't complain even though it's actually <laughs> cold outside. So, Alice, this is an interesting subject to talk about. And as I introduced you, I was kind of having this image of listeners with their tiny violins playing thinking about wealth <laughs> not being desirable. Yeah. Um, and you and I have talked about this before, the discomfort of talking about the challenges of financial privilege. It's not a very woke subject, but I think it's important to talk about it. And as I said, we know that being poor is difficult, but I also imagine that being wealthy has its challenges. And I might be wrong. I mean, please tell me if I'm wrong, but um, if this is the case, what are some of these? Well, I think the, the first thing I would say is that the challenges probably are in, in, in almost no way comparable. So I don't have to worry about my next meal. I don't have to worry about whether my, my home is heated. And I think those concerns on a hierarchy are a lot higher yeah. than any of the challenges I might talk about with you. Mm. But obviously, as you said, that doesn't mean there aren't some. So for me, I have um, inherited wealth mm. and I became wealthy independently when I was 18 mm -hmm. and that's because my father died when I was a teenager mm. but to have wealth like that at a young age 
I've always felt a burden. I didn't earn it. So I felt um, like owed a debt to, mm. to my father because he was the one that worked incredibly hard for it and I try and be sensible with it. But it's hard sometimes, I think, to live up to the expectations um, that people have of you when they know that you're wealthy mm. or even, you know, the way that you dress or the way that you speak or the car that you turn up in. Those automatic assumptions of people. Now, I think particularly with friends and people around you, most of my friends don't have as much money as me. In fact, mm. thinking about it, I, none of my good friends have as much money as me. So it's, mm. it's always making sure that I appreciate them and I want mm. them always to be comfortable around me so if that's mm. like if I say oh let's go out for dinner if I you know thinking about where I've chosen should I should I pay for it you know more than often yes I think mm. um because you know I appreciate them and I love them and I think part of the, the joy of being wealthy actually I know we're talking about challenges but it's the, you're able to share it so yeah to go out to, and enjoy something mm. Mm. I think that duality is important to acknowledge though that we can't deny that it is a privilege and it is a benefit and it can be wonderful but the burden that comes with you also for you, you don't want to not enjoy being able to share it with the people that you love and the people that you want to spend time with as well. Yes, exactly. It's definitely making a balance. I have quite a small circle of friends um, and that's because I think I've mixed in circles where I've met other wealthy people my age and I'm actually um, I'm not inclined to be friends with them. I like to <laughs> model myself as almost the opposite. Like yeah. trying not to show off, trying not to like, oh, you know, let's go all out for dinner, 20 people, I'll pay for mm. everything. Yeah, that's mm. not me. I'd rather just no. do a bit here and there. But it's for me, it's about making people feel comfortable around me and not being yeah. like, oh God, you know, you know that awful feeling. We've all been there when we're at mm. dinner and somebody's ordering loads of food and you're sat mm. there wondering like, oh my God, are we splitting the bill? What's going on? So I'd always mm. like preempt. I, I could often say, oh, should we split the bill? But I think it's, you know, doing yeah. it in a, almost in advance so that people will appreciate and I say come on I'll pay for this tonight let's let's you know yeah we'll a nice glass of wine or something like that I think that's incredibly important because this is part of what this series is about is learning to see people so that we actually see who they are and you're demonstrating that beautifully in that you're allowing that space to see that someone's might be sitting there anxiously thinking oh shit, I can't afford to pay for this. Yeah. But I want to see my friend, Alice, like, how am I going to do this? So the yeah. fact that you can preempt that is wonderful and shows a huge amount of awareness. Over a few years, because I'm in my 30s now, mm. but definitely I, I feel like I would never want to make anybody I care about feel uncomfortable when no. they were with me. Was that modelled to you as you were growing up? Because I imagine as a parent, there's huge responsibility with bringing you up to be aware to appreciate your privilege but also to be aware of what other people don't have yes absolutely so my dad was incredibly kind almost too kind he's kinder than I am so he would pay <laughs> for everything all the time mm. and he made a huge amount of friends <laughs> in that way <laughs> yeah. um, but friends, that, that, friends in inverted commas <laughs> yeah my auntie described it for him as an excitement so mm. my dad up to the age of 40 didn't make his first million pounds and mm. he was running his own business and really wanted to be successful mm. so he died at the age of 45 so actually his wealth and our wealth came in the last four years of his yeah. life but I think that made him um I mean to be fair before before he was 40 he still used to pay for everything but he used to run out of money he never had to get loans or anything but he would really go down to the red in terms of being kind and free mm. judgment but I, <laughs> I feel we're more cautious yeah um, I think also with women, there's there's a lot of double standards in the world. And I think women are often very aware of all the layers and actually the need to be independent financially. 
and yeah. to not get to that point yeah absolutely and as I said earlier like I don't feel actually I think I've grown into my wealth I think I feel like it's mine now but particularly in the first 10 years um, no I didn't feel like it was mine so I felt like I was a guardian of it mm. but mm. going back to challenges we talked about earlier a real challenge of mine is it sounds a bit twee but to be try and be a good wealthy person so mm. to make charitable donations but not tell anyone you know so yeah, yeah. like monthly subscriptions to for me it's homeless charities and mm-hmm. PR and ally and things like yeah. that but the problem is I feel like I feel like I never give enough particularly mm-hmm. as a wealthy person you have uh, well I have a, a fairly big life so I have a big house I have two mm-hmm. expensive cars my child goes to private school and mm-hmm. actually you feel you, you sort of grow into the money that you have so mm. I spend like quite an enormous amount of money on my life um mm. but just those things I've talked about like those days mm. days and then you think oh gosh have I left enough to mm. you know to, to be a good person um mm. probably not probably not yeah. but the fact that you even question that to me shows that you are a good person oh like, thanks <laughs> but, but seriously if you don't give a shit like it's like, oh well I'll do it next month or whatever like yeah I think that's the fundamental difference and the fact that you question it shows that you are that was going to be one of my questions is how do you manage I mean you've kind of answered it already really but managing friendships and relationships with people that aren't as fortunate as you and particularly building trust so do you ever feel judged for having money or people behave differently around you and you're not quite sure whether you can trust their motives or their interest in you yeah so sort of three aspects to friendship that I I can think of the first is with my normal friends I think is just maintaining friendships in the completely normal way so care about them remember important yeah. dates I'm terrible with birthdays I don't know why I said that like I can't even remember <laughs> the last birthday I remember you've been exposed <laughs> I'm, in, I'm big into Christmas because then it's one date it's like a catch-all is it <laughs> um, but to you know check in with them see them mm. enjoy time with them so you know normal normal stuff Um, on the other end of the spectrum um my best friend who was my best friend from oh my gosh I think I was probably about nine eight years Mm -hmm. old we grew up together and when my dad um became incredibly wealthy we used to travel a lot and she came with me so she's Mm -hmm. essentially became like my sister Mm. but in the last five years she was always on the left side of politics but she Mm -hmm. became um very essentially I think she'd call herself a communist actually excuse it that's not (laughs) what it is she unfortunately disowned me Mm. I think realistically because she couldn't cope with the street cred of having a best friend who was incredibly wealthy yeah and so she would tell me what she would do so Mm. she'd give all her wealth away and I you said you know actually we only talked about it once but I remember feeling like oh wow like because mm. I've never considered that to me for my two pennies worth that doesn't actually solve anything it doesn't make any difference no but you were saying earlier about um of people how they judge you mm. I find the most difficult thing is if they've heard about you before they meet you so you know oh let's go see Alice and then she's got this uh, like big house and a mm. um, nice life and then you meet them and mm. um it puts you on on the back foot because mm. they have all these expectations of of what you might be like and actually mm. I think I'm quite disappointing because I'm not flashy <laughs> you know I have I have nice things but um I'm almost a, a boring like caricature of what I should be I think but. yeah when someone arrives at your front door do you find yourself behaving differently trying to get over that first step if they haven't met you before do you find yourself feeling like you're over friendly or over a certain um, way to try yeah. and make them like you um, I, I think 
something I'm quite proud of the answer I can give to that is absolutely not um I'm really confident in myself now this is a really terrible thing gosh this is like a confessional I think um, <laughs> I think if, if, if a new person came in yeah it would be me judging them as in mm. that's how I, I would I would take them at face value um, we can talk about judgment because it's human survival isn't it that we check people up very very quickly to assess whether they're safe whether they're like me whether they're not whatever yeah to help us in a situation and so for you given that the wealthier uh, a smaller percentage of the majority I imagine that's in your life a lot of the time and it's interesting how you deal with that yes yeah, so I think um the only thing I would say that I find quite surprising is that when people meet you and they know that you're wealthy they often talk about the wealth that they have which as a <laughs> person I find really awkward I was saying earlier that we should be doing this more and I just sit there like oh god please stop speaking <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny isn't it I think they want to often they want to prove that they um are worthy of being my friend but let's yeah. know that actually most of my good friends really don't have very much yeah. at all so, yeah. which um, also shows as a society how much value we put on financial like people will I mean one thing I've often talked about with with my partner and and this idea of you can go for a walk at night and see everybody sitting there with these massive tvs on their walls or the a big car or whatever but a lot of it is on credit and there's this striving to pretend that you're a certain way yeah. and that you've got this wealth and I just find it a really curious space that when you yeah. don't have it it, it is still this taboo we don't talk about it there's a weirdness around it absolutely Why and I think for, for me it would be easy to say um oh you know if I didn't have money um then I wouldn't be like that but I don't mm. know because I've always no. been able to have those things so mm. um yeah yeah, yeah um, exactly I don't know what I'd be like to be no that leads beautifully into my next question is that for most people working is a necessity like having a job is a necessity to pay bills but one of the things I love about work is it also gives me an identity and a purpose so if you don't have to structure your day and your life in the same way of going to work every day, how do you create a life that's got purpose and, and is meaningful for you? Yeah, I think that's for me, that's probably the question of the moment because I'm very much in a flux of life at the moment. So my daughter's just started school and I really am at a complete loss as to what to do with myself at the moment. Mm. But I did think yesterday, actually, there are probably like thousands if not millions of mothers actually in the same position as me mm, you know mm. they brought up their child for the for the first five years and mm. then off they go and and some mums would struggle to go back to what they were doing and um, so uh yes I mean that's definitely that's definitely a, a difficult question at the moment I don't feel like I have purpose in mm. my life but I'm a striver and I, I'm going to keep looking yeah. for, for things I, my daughter's only been at school for a few weeks so I'm giving myself not, try not to be too hard on myself but yeah. it's definitely true because my bills can be paid without working I think the overriding sensation is boredom now mm. saying that nobody's going to give me sympathy right <laughs> I, don't, I don't want sympathy I'm just being honest um, it can be quite boring yeah. I don't have much like free spending money because mm. I have a, a, a fairly big lifestyle that takes up my my money so mm. um yeah I think that's a really interesting point to make because I think sometimes that actually having choice is harder than not having choice I think Although, that's yeah yeah I think when we don't have choice we feel that it can be difficult and all we want is to be lying on a beach with a pina colada and having a holiday but 
after doing two or three days of that, it's like, oh, okay, well, what do I do yeah. now? Like, there, there's got to be something more. And I was thinking also with relationships, being around your husband all day long and being around people, like your your day's structure must be so different. Yeah. My husband and I, and we met each other when I was 18. Um, and we actually met um, on a boat that we were both working on at the time. And actually, from the very first day we met, we've lived together. It sounds sort of entertainingly romantic we are we are almost just one person or two we spent all of our time together we, we literally never argue we're very much in love and it's wonderful and I'm super lucky yeah. um so uh the only thing is I do lose my own identity in, in that pairing mm. and I was watching the thick of it this morning um, I was thinking you know all these um people in politics they're very much their own brand their own person mm. um and I, I would like to feel like that one day but equally I am I am happy being being paired up yeah um but I think having wealth um makes that easier you know we're very mm. lucky and you know if we're having a, a bad patch you know, like all marriages do then we could like Book, book two nights away in a hotel or mm. do you know what I mean those are yeah. the things that we're really privileged but that, mm. that help any relationship I think mm. yeah definitely and but also I was thinking um you talk about losing identity I mean that's something that I've grappled with with moving to this country to start with is the different culture but then also moving into someone else's house having a relationship yeah. and it's like who am I and yeah. I actually consider myself lucky that I've got the work that I do I mean this work I love because it's all about this stuff but prior to that I could go and have a job I had my own life I, I play darts locally but it's like if all of those things are taken away it makes me think that you have to work extra hard to create them because you have choice which is a weird dichotomy absolutely I think if you don't manage to pick so I've, I've moved from um, career to career and that was only because I had the ability to leave when I was unhappy and maybe mm. that's not helped me I mean I'm in a fairly good place in life right now apart from feeling like I need to find a purpose but mm. you know I could have or if I had not been had as much money I would have been a barrister by now you know I left mm. because I didn't want to be away I didn't want that terrible work-life balance mm. I, I, I got a master's in the in the merchant navy I probably would have been working the merchant navy or in shipping law and it just mm. hasn't happened because mm. I, I mean, I was stupid. I picked careers that were actually like always away from home, which was maybe, <laughs> but, but I, I had the ability to go, actually, no, I don't want to do that. Mm. So um, yes, definitely. Um, the last flux of my life that I hit, I decided to have a baby, mm-hmm. um, which she's now five. Um, mm. And for my own reasons, I'm not having any more. So I can't mm. do that again as I hit the yeah. second flux of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're very good at leading into my next questions. You talked about doing things to fill that space or to make you feel better or to give you a next step forward we're told by society that that succeeding financially and being wealthy is is the answer it solves things it makes life easier as you've talked about but what can it not solve it's all well and good having the ease of being able to buy something or to to do something but what does it not solve I mean there are absolutely problems it doesn't solve and I, I will come on to those but my first thought with solving problems was that it actually really really helps and that's something I've really come mm-hmm. to appreciate and essentially it's sort of a burden I actually feel because a lot of problems can be solved one example after I had my my daughter I had severe postnatal depression but I didn't realize I had it because I'd never had depression before mm. um, and she was a few weeks old um, and I went to the gym and my husband was looking after her and as I came out of the gym I stepped out in front of, the, of, of a bus um, and I did, I did that completely on purpose um, mm. and the bus wasn't going fast enough I didn't have my glasses on and I only hit the wing mirror mm. but 
that was wow. the first time that I realized I had depression and I went home and I told my husband and what we were able to do we packed up our bags and we went to Dubai for three weeks and we stayed in the hotel do you yeah. know what I mean as you do <laughs> so, um, I have yeah. to say that didn't solve it. I didn't come home without postnatal depression but no. during that holiday in Dubai there were things like I, I was completely empty you know I don't know mm. if you've suffered with depression but yeah I have yeah like you just don't notice or care about anything no. and I remember walking along a corridor in this beautiful hotel and I looked up at this lovely sculpture of uh, some seaweed made of glass and I remember thinking oh that's beautiful and I went oh my god I thought it was beautiful like I'm, mm. you know, I'm on the mend mm. now that is absolutely something that money helped with like I, yeah my postnatal depression was literally reduced probably in half I'd say time-wise because mm. of that yeah that's fascinating I love your realizations at now talking about it and the observation that you've had from from kind of looking at it in that way and as someone who has experienced depression I can appreciate exactly that that numbness where just nothing penetrates and the excitement of recognizing yeah. that you've Something felt an emotion is, is yeah. massive Absolutely. I really like that I guess it to me it reveals the duality of this amazing stuff that it can bring but also you're still living a normal life in the yeah. sense of <clears throat> shit happens like life is yeah, life exactly. whatever money you've got whatever yeah. you are and to get to that point and to do what you did with the yeah. bus is a very human thing like you can be yeah. as poor as you are or as wealthy as you are and it wouldn't have made a difference you still would be in that state yeah. but it gives you a space yeah my, my dad he's um he was actually extremely unwell so he died when he was 45 mm. and had quite a lot of illnesses and uh, I mean he wasn't able to essentially fix or uh, help with any of those even, mm. despite all the, the wealth that he had made for himself mm. I mean he decided to go all out in those last four years knowing that he was going to die mm. in order to make money for us so that we would be able to be comfortable he, he managed to do a little bit more than that and that's down to his remarkable efforts mm. but yeah he still died you know within four years of, of finding out that he was unwell yeah so um yeah but money does not solve everything no 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 exactly when I talked about what it can solve or what it can't solve you said there were two things you started talking about with how it can help problems but I you've also talked about or alluded to your own health issues yeah um yes yeah. yeah, so unfortunately my the, the diseases that my dad had which were lupus um, hemolytic anemia and also severe deep vein thrombosis so I have lupus already mm -hmm. and I have the, the genetic disposition to acquire both hemolytic anemia and um, thrombosis. Mm -hmm. uh, so my dad died when he was 45 and it's literally my aim in life to, to get past that, mm. um, to get past that milestone. Now I might go miles past it. I don't really know. I don't think about it too much, to be honest, but it's certainly something that I carry with me that I do notice that my friends of my age definitely don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I like to think that it makes me a more rounded person because it certainly doesn't worry me. It doesn't keep me up at night or mm. anything like that. But yes, I mean, that's certainly something that anybody my age or anybody in my position would deal with. Mm. It doesn't matter how much wealth they had because mm. um, actually private healthcare is really not, not that great. I don't use mm. it. Um, I have used it in the past, but it's not my go-to. You, you say it's not massively present, but you talk about wanting to get to that milestone. Yeah. How does that impact your life then in terms of just going back to talking about purpose? Because if you think you've got less time, yeah. then there's a level of striving to do yeah. things. And, and you talked about your qualifications and things that you stopped that you didn't want to do or they took you away. I'm interested in how that 
shapes the decisions you make and whether it holds you back or whether it's like sod it I'm going to do this because I might not be here to answer actually mm. I think at the moment it's actually holding me back and the real the, the reason for that is my daughter I want to be present for her I want mm. to be here when she gets home from school mm. now I, I actually find that that life which is, is an admirable life being a mm. very good mum is a mm. hard job yeah um, but it's not one I enjoy mm. now that's that's my own feeling on it Mm. But my dad died when I was 13 and mm. he wasn't he wasn't around very much because he's working mm. so hard. Yeah. Now I'm almost going to go too far to the opposite end of that <laughs> literally always be available. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I will. I, I you know, I'm, I'm gonna look for something to do, but I wouldn't, for example, I wouldn't pick a job that um would take me away often for that exact reason. I was watching a documentary last night it's on an iPlayer about the, the client who died. Oh um, yeah. So his mum died when he was um like six or seven years old as a climber. She died on K2 and then he died when he was like 25 climbing a mountain a hundred hundred miles away. And I remember when she died in the documentary, I was so angry with her. And it was weird anger. And mm. actually I even said it to my husband. I said, I'm feeling really cross with this woman. She had two mm. young kids under the age of eight. Mm. And she goes and climbs K2 without oxygen. And oh surprise she died. And mm. I was really cross with her. This is interesting because actually that was a man with two young kids. I probably wouldn't have said a thing. Probably wouldn't have even thought about it. Yeah, interesting. Um, but yes, that was a very heart-wrenching documentary when I was sat there actually thinking, oh my gosh, how old do I think she's going to be when I die? Do mm. I need to think about this or should I completely ignore it? It preoccupied my mind last night, but generally it doesn't, thankfully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. from an, an inner thought process that that is a really hard space to sit because you don't know the answers and you won't know the answers. And you could get to 70 having... Yeah kind of held yeah kind of (laughs) held off because your health is there but actually it's like shit what have I done trying to live with no regrets but also managing the reality of your situation I imagine that's incredibly difficult um yes um yeah it is uh I think my my husband I know so I owe my husband a great deal for the last five years I've been extremely unwell since I gave birth to my my daughter not with depression thankfully that was only the first six months Mm. Um, but the lupus I have now um came after I gave birth and it's been a really really tough five years Mm. hopefully on the other end of it but he has been my absolute rock like he's Mm. looked after me at every point he's never Mm. you know when I sleep I probably sleep for three or four hours more than him Mm. Um, again this is something that I'm very privileged to be able to do I can lie in Mm. um, and I do recognize that Mm. but but I now I do owe him and Mm. I'm happy with that you know I married him I wanted to choose my life with him but I owe him a a career that's something that will give me the time to spend with him because he's actually rubbish on his own he's not he doesn't enjoy it when I'm not around which (laughs) I I was so lucky to ever say that so do something together given that we've already had this romantic image of the like two little peas in a pod we literally are I mean it's it's quite sickening we've had our struggles we had a down year two years ago we had a real down year Mm. um so uh, like absolutely every marriage how do you live a fulfilling life when you know that like suddenly a few days time, I don't know Kathy making me feel like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know I literally I do not have the answer I don't but, feel but you're living it no 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 but you're living it now like in a I few days know. time you might end up in hospital or like I guess is it a mindset if it's a mindset it's continuing to change my mindset I would like to leave this earth with having achieved something mm. like good good for it sounds a bit again it sounds a bit blah but 
I don't know um you know I'm sat here in a, a really beautiful house but what have I done for anyone you know mm-hmm. I've looked after myself the last five years I've needed to but you know yeah but to me I, I think this is all about how we view success yeah, it, it comes down to each person so what each person's thing is and I mean you're talking about raising a daughter living in a marriage you're talking about friendships all those things are really good things in life and I absolutely yeah I think it's really important to acknowledge those things as well yeah I think just after being ill for five years when um so when you're really ill when you're in hospital Mm. um I mean many of your listeners probably already know this but your your whole aim is on trying to get better so that's Mm. your purpose when you're unwell I feel that I have a purpose in life so I'm like right I'm gonna get better that's my purpose and then when I'm better I'm like oh now now what (laughs) What um so that is a challenge and I don't enjoy being unwell but it occupies a part of my mind that is then unoccupied when when I'm well again in that space you don't put pressure on yourself I imagine oh absolutely yeah because you, you can't it, and it, so emotionally that's the safest space to be yeah because you safe. know you can't do anything yeah you're not putting pressure on yourself so then you come out into the cold when you're all well and be like right yeah. now what particularly when you're a mother and you know you haven't worked for a few years and I think it's, it's down to me though like you know I've got as I said earlier I've got everything behind me I've just got to essentially pull my finger out um public humiliation <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me so can you tell me a bit about your experiences in hospital like what what would you like to say to the emergency doctor (laughs) who first sees you when you turn up in emergency oh gosh I think to be honest if you ask my opinions on the healthcare in this country I think I could probably go on for hours it was fairly bad um as in I think the NHS has held up a little bit like a god these days which I'm Mm. not entirely in in favor of Mm. you know it had its struggles years ago and now honestly it's at its absolute knees I've seen some truly truly terrible things in Mm. in A&Es in in recess departments um on wards where elderly ladies get treated badly now that doesn't mean that I don't see really quite a lot of good things but those Mm. bad things they creep in more and more Mm. Um, and that's not something I don't think that even as a one-person crusade I'm not going to achieve no, anything no. but it, it does worry me our, our local hospital I think is particularly bad and I've actually said to my family look Paulie here please just keep driving and go to mm. another one mm. when you're ill you're not in a space to be really making decisions like you just want to no. be looked after yeah <laughs> You it's don't not want like that in the NHS anymore. I mean, you have to fight for yourself in the NHS. Mm. If you want something, you have to ask a million times, you know, and mm. they're under strain. They're under horrendous yeah. pressure. These are not the faults of individual people. This is the no. fault of, you know, systematic abuse of a service over 10 or decades, really. Yeah. Um, but it's, I don't know how long it's going to be before the cracks start to show on more than just the people who use it all the time. Mm. Um, when, you know, I've started hearing p- people just saying, stuff more recently like you know my grandma was on the floor for six hours unfortunately it's becoming more more yeah it is there's a lot of I don't know if you if you watch them but there's an awful lot of tv documentaries about following ambulance crews and particularly during the pandemic they've talked a lot about mental health issues and how the ambulance comes to pick someone up it's a mental health they can't actually deal with it so okay, then they could just get yeah. passed on to the next service and it starts to clog up the system um I think mm. paramedics generally are actually absolutely wonderful that my, my problem is actually with the with, with hospitals and not the staff it's the system but as you're saying with with mental health problems I've been picked up by paramedics on numerous occasions where they'll say 
very politely and jovially, oh, it's nice to have a proper job. And they mean a medical job where they can mm. sort out exactly what's wrong with me medically. Yeah. But I've heard that so many times. I mean, maybe 20% of the times I've met them, which is quite a, quite a number, mm. they would just express relief that I was somebody that they could actually fix slash look after or help. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. That's a real indictment, isn't it, of the system and the struggles that the National Health Service has got at the moment. Um, yeah, absolutely. I tell you, the last six months is doubled in worseness. So the last yeah. six months is just, I mean, I was in a, in a, a, um, a queue, this was about uh, two months ago, so very recently, in a hospital in the southwest, queuing mm. in an ambulance for a resus bed, which is the, the most critical bed in the hospital. Mm. The ambulance is queuing up outside A&E. I was in a queue of 10 ambulances, and I, I had an A&E nurse in my ambulance with me because I was really poorly. They found me a bed in resus, which I waited for three hours for outside the hospital, and I was mm. extremely unwell. Mm. And when I got there, the nurse said, you know how lucky you are, this is the only bed we've got in the entire hospital. Wow. She didn't say that in a horrible way, no. but geez like yeah. but that's not you know that's not right like no and, and that that row of uh ambulances then become like mini hospitals absolutely yeah just yeah. get expanded out oh all um praise to the people that are working in that kind of system yeah. absolutely that's hard is there anything that you feel that people don't really understand what you're dealing with like what do you say to the average person i mean friends and people will understand what your life is like with with health issues yeah but there still must be a level of you having to protect yourself and having to say no to things and and do people yeah. really get what you're dealing with I don't feel like there's anything particularly I want to say because actually mm. I think most people maybe not most at least maybe a third half of people are struggling with something mm. difficult I don't make many new friends but I made a new friend um, a few weeks ago and she told me after I met her about three or four times that she'd actually had breast cancer two years ago and she's my age I mean just be kind I suppose mm. you never know what people are struggling with mm. I tend to tell my husband this because he gets grumpy with people <laughs> but yeah I think almost all struggles are hidden that's the thing I'm really interested in is that struggles are hidden like you say we never know what someone's dealing with yeah. but also we all have our own biases and our own yeah. views about what something means so yeah. one person's struggle can be for us it could be well that's not really a struggle because I've dealt with that like there's levels of struggles I think a lot of the time we're behaving in a way that I almost want to say like we're telling ourselves that we're okay like we're trying not to show vulnerability because yeah. that we we associate vulnerability with weakness not a strength there's a limit there isn't there because yeah. if you become too vulnerable literally you do become weak I think mm. is, you know people say you know that all oh, the stiff upper lip is a bad thing I actually don't think it is I think there's a lot to be said for carrying on but picking your moments mm. picking when to tell people that you're having struggles um picking when to cry in public mm. Do you know what I mean yeah um, so I, I think I'm becoming old-fashioned in my view of that mm. um because yeah I mean I, I think I'm quite proud of this country's ability to, to pick up and carry on I'm obviously new to this country but when you come here you learn that there is keep calm carry on there's this resilience to keep plowing on but I also think there's a point when sometimes that becomes unreal because you're not allowing that space to acknowledge it, it there are the moments to acknowledge yeah um, important moments. yeah yeah I think yeah. they mean more as well if you really try to mm. to keep going and then eventually let something out I think people listen more do you find that you try to protect your friends and family about how much you share about your health then yeah I definitely don't tell people that I'm ill as much as I am I don't know why 
actually why do I not do it I think it's because they're two parts of my life Mm. Um, like it's such a horrible exhausting part that actually I don't want to tell everyone I don't Mm. want to sit there texting 10 people you know you know people who are well and then go into hospital and they might post on Facebook I'm not going to judge people that do that no Um, but they'll get you know 30 messages maybe or comments and Mm. and and oh how are you doing God, I couldn't cope with that. If <laughs> every time I was ill, I'd just be like, I can't. <laughs> I just need my time. I need, yeah. I need space. I think also it shows that there's a level of not wanting to worry people as well. They always say that when you're the one that's ill, it's the easiest person to deal with it because you're in it and you know it and you know there's an element, you know what's bad and what's not. So yeah. you can potentially worry people unnecessarily end of the spectrum though I actually find that my family have got so used to me coming in and out of hospital sometimes they assume I'm fine and I'm really just like guys I feel terrible like you know mm. I've been in hospital for four days you know when you come out of hospital after like four days you've got muscle wastage yeah. you've got like this weird like already like indoctrination where you expect someone to bring you three meals a day mm. um, I mean that goes fairly quickly but you know you've been completely and utterly looked after for four days and suddenly boom you're at home on your own you've got to do the mm. washing you know you've got mm. to take my my daughter to school things Mm. like that um and sometimes I could definitely do with more more um support from my family I think um (laughs) god I feel bad saying that but I would I definitely like them to just to realize I feel shit sometimes yeah I think they do know but as I said earlier with that whole like keep calm and carry on I think they know I think they just Mm. I think they just that that's the best way to deal with it is just assume that I'm going to keep going oh god well (laughs) I think there's also a responsibility that comes like we're talking about responsibility of wealth but also responsibility of health of they know that you will really let them know if something's really not great your problem is when you're really really unwell you can't. in hospital particularly with the pandemic so nobody's mm. been in hospital with me now for like well, I don't have however long it's been going on mm. you can't do it you get no, that's true in, you've got cannulas in your hands your phones mm. in your backpack you've got yeah. one tiny NHS blanket the nurses do not have time to sort that out for you mm. Mm. um when things go really tits up in hospital mm. like mm. you're really literally you you feel yeah. very much on your own yeah yeah unfortunately. which yeah. has made me extremely resilient but it's made it a bit hard I think mm. <laughs> yeah, this is a completely different subject but with me living here and all of my family being back in Australia there's a certain level of having to separate your life from them because if you're in yeah. their life all the time it's too painful because you yeah. can't live on that day-to-day when you're that far apart Absolutely. so you have to emotionally remove yourself and I was thinking with you as well there, there's a resilience but is there a level of having to remove, I, don't, I want to say, not, I don't want to say hope, but remove the, the kind of ordinary expectations of life? Does that make sense? Um, I think it pushes you to do stuff that you maybe not even wouldn't think possible, but like wouldn't, wouldn't normally do. So going back to if you're in hospital on your own, particularly if you're in A&E, um, my condition makes me, so um, I have a problem with my heart and I get very, very sweaty. And uh, if I know, because I've been in hospital a lot, I can figure out where the sh- like bed sheets are. I literally just go and change my own bed sheets with like <laughs> with like lines of my arms and hands, and like mm. maybe oxygen on or pulling a drip stand, and um, you know things that you used to be able to do when people would help you, like going to the loo. So you, you, my husband used to be there to help me, like stupid mm. things. Like, again, pull down your pants if you've got things mm. in your arms, and now doing it by yourself, it's hard. It's really mm. hard, and it's horrible, and it's actually it's a little bit demeaning like you feel mm. you know a, a, a hot mess basically mm. but then when you mm. complete it you're like yeah I could I can do that I could have done that you know for the last two years I didn't realize I could have done that mm. on my own mm. I think it's good to be pushed but there I think I think all of us though at the moment are reaching limits of what we're what we're mm. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, very much so. We're all getting yeah. to that point now, aren't we? We all, we all need a holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, can we all take a year off? Like, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing that a lot with people all over the world that that people that are used to living challenging lives in terms of, I mean, just looking at expats of of moving regularly and setting up a life again. And I've one friend that talks about people living Olympic level lives. That's so true. And then you put a pandemic on that as well, and it's. I know I'm tired I, I'm tired I'm needing like yeah. just to disappear for a few weeks um, yeah <laughs> and I think the, everyone is and I think it's really important to allow ourselves to to be a hundred percent what we are in yeah. this moment like I haven't got enough money or I'm tired I want a holiday like whatever it doesn't yeah. no, even nothing to do with money and but then someone says oh but it's um you're lucky because you've got a job and you've got then you're like and all I want to do in that moment is honestly say fuck you just allow me my shit day absolutely absolutely yeah I agree (laughs) (laughs) and I just I think sometimes that in trying to make people feel better we can actually gaslight them almost like yeah. they're not allowed that so it would be doing like yourself a disservice I think to, mm. it'd be fake I think it would be mm. false to, to you know just deny the way that you're feeling about yeah. anything yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah well we've come to the end of, of our conversation Alice <laughs> okay cool <laughs> fantastic I, I wanted to thank you properly because I know we've laughed a bit about this before but that talking about the challenges that come and not wanting it to be a poor me but I'm also very keen to have an honest yeah. conversation and actually yeah, just talk really, about that and it's really interesting because I've yeah. not really talked about it with anyone so um yeah no, it's, it's thank you it's good and I'm I'm really grateful that you um agreed to come on and we're happy to share as, as much as you have because it has the potential to be an awkward conversation but I think you yeah. you answered beautifully and I'm I'm really grateful oh, thank you <laughs> so, yeah. so thank you thank you very very much no it's lovely thank you good And you've been listening to Drawn to a Deeper Story with Kath Brew.